It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Speaks. Hi there, I'm Jack Ward, and welcome to Season 5 of Sonic Speaks. This season, we're going to start off a little differently. On July 4th of this 2020 year, a milestone will be crossed as the CBC's incredible horror radio drama series Nightfall reaches 40 years of age. We'll be speaking with some of the producers, actors, and writers of Nightfall in upcoming interviews. But I thought for some folks who haven't heard of Nightfall, I would invite John Scott Ballantyne and Kevin Hartnell of Campfire Radio Theatre to speak about their love for this Canadian treasure. In the dream, you are falling, lost in the listening distance as dark locks in. <laughs> Nightfall. Welcome back to Sonic Speaks, and I'm here with the incredible John Scott Ballantyne and Kevin Hartnell. How are you guys doing tonight, gentlemen? Pretty well. Great, thank you. Thank you. That's good. So that was John first and Kevin second. It's hard to tell in audio <laughs> unless you know right ahead. But you guys, first of all, you've been working together for a long, long time, and I know that I think you've been working together doing Campfire Radio Theater, and Kevin, you've been doing all sorts of other stuff as well. One of your main sources is... CBC's Nightfall series. Well, let's start with you, John. What was your experience with the series Nightfall from CBC? Well, I think I'm kind of like one of the original, what I would call one of the original listeners, because I I remember it coming on. It was carried here in the U.S. on NPR back in the 80s, probably around, I guess, 82 or 83. And so I caught some of them when they were on the air. And I think it came on like at 7 o'clock on Thursday or Friday nights. I can't remember which. But I I remember being an impressionable young lad sitting under the uh, stereo and having the crap scared out of me. You know, (laughs) it made quite an impression that I remembered for many years. And I guess I've always compared it to the experience of listening to Nightfall on the radio for the first time to me was kind of like when you're a kid and you're you're playing around with a Ouija board. I I just kind of felt like I was listening to something that might open up a portal to hell or something. (laughs) I I don't know. But uh, it's, you know, it freaked me out. I I remember listening to Angel's Kiss, which was an episode and uh, that really... That's a beautiful episode, isn't it? Yeah, great, great show. And the end of that scared me so bad, I couldn't listen to Nightfall for a couple of weeks after that. (laughs) It just freaked me out, you know? So that was kind of my first experience with it. And I remembered it years later when I started kicking around this idea of doing a, you know, an audio drama. And I was like, yeah, I I found all the shows online and started listening to ones that I hadn't heard and re-listening to the ones that I heard as a kid. And I was like, this is the kind of show that I want to do. You know, it's, I want to do an anthology. I knew that, but I was like, I want to do, I want to do a horror show like this. So that was kind of, you know, my introduction to Nightfall and how I sort of rediscovered it years later when I started getting into the whole podcast realm. What was the structure of Nightfall that 
you found really useful to structure because you write your own stories for Campfire Radio. Did you build your structure the same way as they did with a narrator and with segments in the same way? Well, you know, I love the uh, the host for the first two seasons was Henry Raymer, I believe. Mm-hmm. And this guy had just an amazing set of pipes. I mean, the, his voice was just incredible. And I loved how he would introduce these shows. And, uh, you know, he would take you right into the show fairly quickly. So I, I really sort of wanted to not necessarily copy that, but use that as inspiration and, you know, not get too heavily into intros, but just kind of touch the important bases and get into the story. And I think Nightfall did that extremely well. Right. It also seemed to tie things up fairly quickly as well. So Henry Raymer was the host for the first two seasons, and then we had Bill Ryder as the host for the last year, if I remember correctly. That's right. So did you, and I'm going to get to you right away, Kevin, but did you also pick up at the time, or did it take you a while to figure out that many of these were done by different studios and different cities? I didn't really know that until I started reading up you know, some of the background material that's available online on the show. There's not a lot, but there is some stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea. I think one show was recorded in New York City and the rest was all done in Canada. Clack Sound Studios at New York City. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I had no idea because it all holds together so well. It has a consistency to it. Even though it's an anthology, it really has a very amazingly consistent quality to it. You know, it's just a, an amazing radio drama. You could almost argue it's one of the first satellite radio shows that way where it moves from because the host was obviously in one central spot doing all of the different stuff. Yeah. They had actors working there. Bill Howell, who created it, he was operating probably from Toronto most of the time doing a lot of the executive producing stuff. Him and Don Kowalchuk were the executive producers. So it must have been a cross country thing, which was a hard thing to do in the 80s. There's no internet for them to be able to communicate the same way. Yeah. No email, none of that fun stuff that we have today, the technology that's available now, which, you know, it's it's fortunate because we couldn't really do what we do without the current state of, of technology. For, but for them to do what they did back then is pretty darn impressive. Pretty stunning. Kevin, what are your experiences? Did you start off quite young as well, listening to Nightfall? Yeah, that's right. John and I are pretty close to the same age. And The first time I had found out about Nightfall was from uh, a best friend of mine. I grew up in a small town of about 150 people out in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. (laughs) And this friend of mine, he was a little bit older, and he always seemed to be hip to what was going on. And he had told me about Nightfall. He's like, you need to check this out. You like horror stuff? I'm like, yeah, that's right. So on a Friday night in the early 80s, I tuned in and I heard Angel's Kiss which was the first episode I remember hearing at the time. And that was on WSIU in Carbondale, Illinois, which I just barely picked up well enough to get it in stereo on my stereo at the time. (laughs) And I heard the intro with the sound effect, that composite they created, and I knew right out of the gate, man, this is something strange, you know, this is going to be cool. (laughs) And then you hear the introduction, and you hear Henry Raymer's voice, and at that point, man, I was just totally sold, and I didn't care what was coming next, I was definitely going to listen to the rest of it. And that story freaked me out, especially the transition, no spoilers, but there's a transition in there, and just the simple overlay of effects just 
freaked me out, <laughs> scared me pretty good. Just like John said, I was hungry for more. Right after that, I kept buying tapes and taping it off the air and was totally hooked from the beginning. And there's a hundred episodes. Are all of them available or have we lost any? Do you know? Everything that was aired is available, but the sources are all over the map. I mean, I've been collecting since I heard it on the radio. At the time, there were some official releases on cassette tape from the CBC that I ordered back in the 80s. And then those faded away and disappeared. And I bought some reel-to-reel recordings from someone that was passing them around way back then, which was one of the only sources that was available anyway because I was a, also a video collector and had thousands of videotapes as well. And reaching out all over the world to try to find these collectors, it was just on these old reel-to-reels. So some of the MP3s that float around on the internet are from those old sources, and that's why they don't sound so great. The CBC did release some stuff formally, but not very much. Mm. And John and I can tell you, if you haven't already heard this, the BBC actually aired a few different series of the show. I think uh, five episodes each, three times or something like that. And those sound amazing. And that's been very recently, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. That quality is good, I'm assuming. That's right. They are. They, that's one thing we were just anxious to hear was like, what will these things sound like? And, and they're amazing. They sound really good. Uh, obviously, they were pulled from, I guess, you know, tapes at the CBC, but they sound really good. A concern of ours has always been, would these things ever surface again in, in a high quality version? Mm-hmm. I would buy a box set of CDs if they would come out with it and probably pay them whatever they wanted. <laughs> Absolutely. From my understanding, speaking with Neil Marsh and other friends, is that there have been a couple of other commercial releases through Dirk and Hayes and another company, I believe, and I understand that those weren't actually legit. Wow. (laughs) From what I understand. I don't know if that's exactly all entirely true, but that's what I had heard. It's so hard to find really high quality recordings. And even though, from what I understand, they were recorded on new digital audio systems at the time, which were pretty cutting edge back then. But the recordings that you find out floating on the internet or wherever you find them now, they're usually not very good. And just a handful of quality stereo recordings have surfaced as far back as I could find. And then up to today, the most recent BBC airings were high quality as well. This might break your heart, but uh, have you ever heard of a show called The Frantics? No, sir. So The Frantics was a comedy show put together by a guy who, if you've ever seen The Red Green Show, yes, there's a guy by the name of Rick Green who played sort of the silent, strange friend of his. But he's a very good writer, and he did a, a comedy troupe called The Frantics, and I'm happy to send you some suggestions of that. They're kind of like Canada's version of Monty Python. And They ran for a while on the radio, and they were really quite funny. And Rick Green was living in London just a couple, about 10 years later, and somebody at CBC called him and said they were just emptying out the archives and throwing everything in the bin. So if he wanted any of his old Frantics tapes, he should come down and get it. He had drove all the way from London to Toronto, which is about a four-hour trip to grab them before they were taken out to the garbage. So here's hoping that's not what happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just ran out of room and they thought, oh, well, we're not going to play these anymore. That's terrible. And tossed a bunch of stuff out. So let's hope that never right, happened that's pretty terrible. of the nightfall. I've heard horror stories from the BBC as the same old Doctor Who episodes and things that they had chucked out. I want to ask you a question, Kevin, if we yeah. could, about the music. Sure. 
because I'm a bit of a musician amateur. I'm not somebody who is as talented as you are. And I think you're one of the most talented people in audio drama when it comes to music creation. I've said that before. Thank you. And I'll say it again. I find your stuff amazing. Thank you so much. And no, it's, I've always wanted to work with you. And I think that when I listen to the music, how it's done almost in many ways in sound effects, that in some cases, you just sit there and you wince because it's, it's almost painful to hear some of the ways that they use music to highlight a particular scene. How is music used in Nightfall that maybe you recognize and took some cues from yourself? Well, from all that I understand and have learned, I've done a bit of research on it and digging up the cues and stuff. And a lot of it turns out to be stock music. Really? I don't know if you're familiar with much of that, but back in the day... <laughs> A lot of sound effects companies also released what they would call uh, library music or stock music. Yep. And these were uh, varying genres and styles for whatever use you wanted to apply to radio and on and on. And so with Nightfall, it was pretty fascinating. They actually pulled in cues from Bruton Music and companies like that. But some of the artists are Klaus Weiss, which was used quite a bit. Brian Bennett, Andrew Jackman, a lot of people like that. This music was pretty fascinating because a lot of it was actually done in the 70s hmm. and the use of synthesizers was pretty significant in a lot of this so it was a relatively new thing at the time and some of the artists like Klaus Weiss for example really sunk his teeth into it and had a great time with it so <laughs> some of the pieces that they chose for this were pretty unique in that regard and I loved how they utilized library music for the show now something that also pops up are some of the pieces are soundtracks from other films, including a piece from the original Alien movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really unexpected. Now, I'm not going to question the right holders and all that <laughs> on it. It's not my business or understanding, but it's pretty fascinating to hear the breakaway piece of music from Jerry Goldsmith in Nightfalls. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, do you know which episode that was in, or can you remember? It would be interesting. I was going to ask the same thing. Uh, yeah. Do you remember? That one's in The Debt. If you remember The Debt, that's actually one of my favorites of all time. Was that a third season episode? I don't think so. I think that was actually probably the second season because I know that oh, okay. the Luther Krantz character actually introduces that one. I can pull that up. I'm looking at it. It's April 2nd, 1982, 82. number 57. That's it. A fraternity ritual results in a young man, Ricky Lee, being killed when he's cut in half by a train. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, That's my it. God. That is, That's that is a good episode. Go. I was trying to match the title with the actual plot, and yeah, right. that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. Sometimes that's what it takes is you have to just sort of remember the plot. I was saying to John just a little while ago that, is it Future Tense? Yes. That I was listening to, and I just had this entire flashback that it was like one of the first ones I ever listened to. <laughs> and I was remembering the guy was watching television, and there was like nude yoga going on. <laughs> and he was like, whoa. And I'm thinking, I'm too young to be listening to this right now. Is this going to go yeah. pornographic at this point? Which it didn't, but it was, yeah, I remember thinking that at the time. I felt like that a lot of times when I was listening to Nightfall. <laughs> Is I'm too young to be listening to this. This is this is too much. But I kept listening. He kept listening anyway. I was also saying one of my all-time favorite Canadian actors, Chris Wiggins, mm -hmm. and how he was a regular in that. And I just finished listening to Late Special recently. Oh yeah. And he has one of those voices you want to hear, just like the host. You want to hear them read the phone book. Like they're just absolutely amazing, right? And my biggest disappointment is that Chris Wiggins retired in the town that I grew up after I moved away. 
but I never got a chance to interview him oh. and I really wanted to. And so when I tried to call, I really got no response back. I found an email, no response back. I didn't get a phone call. It was just too bad. Yeah. So I really would have loved to have interviewed him because I think he was just really cool. I remember as a kid, I watched his television show. I don't know if you got that, but it was the Swiss Family Robinson. I'd heard about it, hadn't seen it. It was terrible, but it, it was great <laughs> when you were a kid to watch, right? Was he on the, uh, the syndicated Friday the 13th? Yes, series he was. was. Yeah. Okay. He absolutely yeah. was. And that was a pretty cool show. I loved it. I didn't expect that title. Like the title always throws you off a little bit, but it was kind of like X-Files before X-Files, but it's, wasn't it? It's sort of an anthology. Yeah, it really was. It was Cursed Objects and I loved it. That's where I found out about him and I didn't know that he was the same actor that showed up in the episodes of Nightfall like the Stone Ship another favorite yeah there was another radio show that I grew up listening to as a kid I don't know if you guys heard as well because I I got these because they are at a CBC but it was a kids show called Johnny Chase Secret Agent of Space oh I'd heard of it yes. and he played <laughs> his sort of AI computer and he was fantastic of course in that role and uh, Mr. Chase, Mr. Chase, you know, he always talked to him. Oh, that's cool. Those were kind of fun shows. And they were put together by a creator and writer of another Canadian comedy series called the Royal Canadian Air Farce. <laughs> and he put them together. They were a long running radio series and then television series in Canada, too. But I wanted to bring up Chris Wiggins because I wanted to ask who your favorite actors were in the Nightfall series. John, go ahead. <laughs> okay. I think the obvious answer to me would probably be Elva May Hoover because mm-hmm. she was just, you know, she was in Angel's Kiss and she played a lead character. And she had this voice that was just, wow, for a, you know, a, a young uh, hormonally charged kid <laughs> really uh, made me attracted to her character. But she was in a lot of episodes, not only uh, that, but Love and the lonely one she was excellent. she was excellent in that excellent and the wind chill and many many more right. and she was just amazing all of her episodes to me are, are standouts absolutely she's incredible as far as favorites for me she's absolutely at the top along with john stalker John Stalker, he he did a lot of stuff. And they were the most frequent shows. I mean, they were in the Toronto studio and could have been involved in up to 74 shows. Absolutely. Incredible talent. And what shows reminded you of John Stalker specifically? Which shows did you like the most that he was in? Out of the Stalker episodes, Angel's Kiss I had mentioned, because I think that's one of those things where it's like the uh, the first song you hear by Rush (laughs) or whatever. You know, it stays with you. And hearing him in Angel's Kiss just haunted me pretty well and just starting to recognize his voice across and and other episodes like they bite or or whatever he just has such a remarkable voice but many decades later i started picking up on his voice as other characters and laughing about it just thinking it was so great they used him for so many different roles and also just even characters that weren't even listed and so that was always fascinating mm. trying to spot a john stalker do, do we think he's the guy that plummets at the, the screams and and falls at the beginning of the of the episode at the beginning of the show in the dream you are falling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, it does sort of sound like his voice a bit with that timbre. Yeah, it could very well be. They have him falling. There's some episodes where they have him falling or whoever it is falling at the end and it goes even longer. Wow. The scream is falling for like 10 seconds. I'm re-listening to them all now and I'm noticing that some just end and basically have no credits. And I'm sure that's because just of the version that was available. And some have credits that are basically 
publicly saying they're NPR and that they're playing the show. And then sometimes there's even the host coming back kind of wrapping right. up talking. I'll tell you what, I'll have to make a confession and hopefully it won't come back to haunt me here. But in the early 90s, when I first got involved in the internet, I started digging around for nightfall things, traders, artifacts, anything I could find. And then that led me to finding out about Usenet and old time radio shows, not shows, but conventions and things like that. Wow. And so since I had such a hard time finding other collectors, there were only a handful of us that I knew of at the time, we started sharing the recordings because we didn't know where else to get them and how else to get them. And maybe somebody had a better recording or whatever. And so being an early user of the internet, I wound up sharing some of those online <laughs> I know that's not right. I admit it. I'm sorry. But anyway, nonetheless, those recordings were the first ones I remember seeing turn up on the internet and still float around. They sound absolutely terrible. The encodes are bad. Mm. Just the works. They're just terrible. Just barely enough to enjoy. But what I wound up doing later was taking as many sources as I could to create what I called composites of the best versions of the intros, the stories, the outros, extra music cues, whatever I could. And I built these composites for my own listening enjoyment. Wow. And I wound up handing them over to a friend of mine so he could listen to them as well. And the next thing I know, some of these things were showing up online as well, <laughs> being passed around the community. So you're mentioning the uh, the credits or the openings and everything sometimes being from different sources. Odds are it's probably my fault or somebody else in my circle of people that we knew trading those things at the time. So. You're who we have to blame for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hopefully they don't <laughs> hunt me right. down. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, <that's>, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you've kept it alive because this is the 40th anniversary, as John's reminded me, coming up. Amazing. On Amazing. July 4th. And I have to admit, I have a little bit of bitterness in my heart in the respect that there's so many people who are making audio drama today who have not even heard Nightfall. It's shocking, isn't it? It seems to be a crime. You know, it really is. <laughs> I mean, uh, th at that time, that was sort of a, a second or third generation radio drama. And they hold up really well. And they sound, if you can hear them the way they sounded back then, if you can hear a really good recording of those shows, they sound amazing. You know, because they were done with state-of-the-art equipment. Absolutely. They were mixed and recorded in stereo. And the recent BBC airings actually really show you how good these shows sounded. So it's a pity that more people don't recognize how good radio drama can be. And this is a perfect example of it. It's possible that a lot of people are just dismissive, perhaps because they think, eh, it's, it's 40 years old or whatever. <laughs> Why would I want to hear something that old? You know, that's... <laughs> yeah, it's like old-time radio. Radio, which exactly. old time radio right. is pretty darn good. And right. this is on the same level of quality. Yes. And it's like I say, if you can hear them in the condition that they were meant to be heard in, you're going to hear some really high quality stuff. I couldn't agree more. And I think that if you were going to make film, you would go back and look at the classics of film and how film is made. Absolutely. If you're going to make audio drama, why wouldn't you go back and listen to the classics of audio drama? And there's really only a handful of shows that I could say really are the pinnacle. And I'm really proud to say that Nightfall is absolutely one of the top yeah. audio dramas from the past that people should really give a full listening to. That's fascinating you say that because out of all of the shows of television, film, and everything, Nightfall still stays at the top of my list. I had created a top 20 audio dramas of all time list on my website 
years back and it still gets thousands of views and people check it out and I have it number one Nightfall of course because it left such a strong impression on me that influenced me as a musician as a writer a listener of whatever it just still resonates with me so strongly and so I'm always trying to tell people about it and I actually created the Facebook Nightfall page almost 10 years ago now it's getting pretty close I think fortunately John's still manning the helm there I appreciate I'm, that I'm still at the but will that's one of those things I would have had if you'd have told me as a young teenager listening to Nightfall in my room with the lights out scaring myself silly <laughs> that someday I'd be virtually bumping elbows with the people that worked on the show in that group on Facebook I would have believed you there's no way but there they are you know what's funny is I could not turn the lights out when I was listening to Nightfall <laughs> I had to listen with the lights on <laughs> oh man but it's true if you've got really great stuff the best part of the theater of the mind is Nothing can scare you better. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's true. Than good radio drama. This is true. Because you're the one who's creating it all. Absolutely. You're the cinematographer. You're the art director. You created this movie in your head. Nothing's going to be scarier. I think that's why horror works so well in, Absolutely. in the audio drama or radio drama form. Nothing's going to scare you more than what's hiding in the shadows in your <laughs> own mind. You know. That's true. <laughs> so do you guys use sound cues in your writing and in the music production for campfire theater specifically in various different spots to draw more tension to draw more terror in the characters or the the listeners i should say well you know from my point of view i'll let john answer because i'm sure he's got a good take on this as well i'm basically trying to be an additional character in the story or elements that help to illuminate the story and bring out and feature parts of the story that need to really jump out at you so to speak not all jump scares necessarily but the point is is that mm -hmm. the music plays its own part in how it triggers our emotions you know those vibrations of frequencies can affect how we think and what we're thinking so it becomes its own character and john is absolutely amazing at knowing how and when and where to drop that stuff in there sometimes i score it on my own and sometimes i send the pieces to john and let him work his magic because he's got such a touch for that before john answers just so i can be clear is the music sort of an organic outgrowth of the scene for you do you go scene by scene or do you go theme by theme kind of? it's interesting because we have different approaches Sometimes John will send me a script and I will immediately start writing based on the atmosphere and vibe of what the story is. Right. And I'll hold on to those. Sometimes I'll send them over. Mm -hmm. But then there are times where I'll get a scene and I'll create the music built around the scene for the timing and to get all that synchronized to make sure all the hits are in place and all the builds are there and all that. But it just depends too, because there have been times where John sent the script, I created some music, sent it over. He liked it so much, he started to build it into the scenes and I didn't even have to sit there and score into the scene with the timing and cues and everything. So it just depends on the circumstances, really. What about you, John, in your writing and directing of your audio drama shows and Campfire Radio, which again, if I can be complimentary, whenever you drop a show, it's the first thing I do. I drop everything else and I listen to the next Campfire Radio theater show because it's one of the top modern audio drama shows out there. Oh, thank you, Jack. I, I really do appreciate that. You know, we try to put on a, a quality show, but I, I've told Kevin this a few times. I'm like, hey, you're John Williams to my uh, Steven Spielberg, <laughs> you know, so, and I've told him a few times, I was like, I don't know if I'd even want to do this if you weren't involved, but we have a good working relationship and there's so many cool things you can do with music. I mean, you can create visual cues with music that sort of replace, since you don't have a picture going, you know, it's only audio. You can 
create moods, obviously, and certain visual cues with how the music sounds. I think we complement each other really well. And sometimes Kevin will score something and, you know, maybe it's not even something particularly for Campfire Radio Theater, but it's something that I'll listen to and I'm like, wow, this gives me an idea. You know, I could write something to this. I could write a scene or write a character that puts me in mind. It's, it's very much a good chemistry, I think, between us as far as, as producing the show. I'm not so sure. I'm a John Williams. <laughs> you know, maybe well, that's the Jaws theme. I don't know. But I'm no Steven Spielberg either. But, uh, <laughs> but it's fun to make that comparison anyway. Absolutely. Well, you know, something that I thought about was how I was so excited to be working with John on the show. There are nights when I come down into the studio and... And I just start writing pieces of music that conjure certain images and feelings in mm-hmm. me. And I'll think I'm throwing that in the campfire radio theater pile and I'll send that stuff to John up to the, uh, the folder or whatever. And that's something that he can play with if he wants to. But sometimes I can write like 40 or 50 pieces of music for a single episode. Some of it never sees the light of the day and some of it's sent to John and some of it's actually used. So, you know, it just piles up. But I love to share it with him because I know as enthusiastic and excited about spooky music as I am. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's one of the most fun parts of putting the thing together to me is when the music comes in. I'm like a kid at Christmas. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I'm rubbing my hands (laughs) together. I'm like, and sometimes Kevin will just score things and maybe it's just the theme recently we've been doing a lot of stuff where he's scored tracks timed perfectly for the scene either way it works for me i think that if you're doing this kind of production you're doing audio drama particularly in a podcast form and you're fortunate enough to have a composer as good as this guy it, it really is like ear candy when when that stuff comes in and you're getting ready to put it into the mix is there Ever a time when music shouldn't be used? Yeah, absolutely. Would you identify when music is best used and when it's best left out of the show? You know how they describe if you really want to get someone's attention, don't yell at them, whisper. Sometimes it's the understated thing that can have the strongest impact, just like old horror films that didn't show you anything, they suggested it. So sometimes just the dialogue or the sound effects or the silence in the scene is enough to build a lot of tension. So there are plenty of spaces to play with. And you don't need to fill it all up. And that's one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned as a musician was to play the spaces and to know when to just step away and not do a thing. That's a very good uh thought there. And, you know, I think sometimes you just want to let the sound design do its job if it's good. And sometimes it's not good. And I'm like, Kevin, you got to put some music over this because <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what I'm going to do with this scene. But a lot of times if the sound design is really good and it's setting the mood, then it's sort of like its own music and you can just sort of leave it alone. It's really kind of, there's an intangible element to it that's hard to really put into words. You just sort of know it when it's working and when it's not. And when it's not, I want Kevin to be scoring some music for it. (laughs) Yeah, that just comes from (laughs) intuition and experience, you know. And in our own lives and things that have happened to us in our own situations, you know when silence can be so powerful. It's the things left unsaid. So if, if like John said, if you've got great sound design, which he always puts in place, it's one of those things where you don't need to say a thing. Sometimes just a small piece of dialogue hits so hard. And then there are times when you do want the jump scare with a huge musical stab that knocks you out of your chair, too. So, <laughs> so yeah. in a single track, you may have things that sort of weave in and out, get quieter, get louder. 
stop for a moment, move on. That might be one of those things that you have timed specifically. Is that true? That's true. It really is because you're trying, as a musician, you're trying to illuminate whatever it is you're creating in the best way possible. So if I were a drummer playing in a band, which is where I started, as a drummer, you're trying to provide a foundation and sometimes a little fill hearing there to illuminate and shake it up and make it fun, but not to walk over the song. You're supposed to basically illuminate the lyrics or whatever the melody line is and trying to feature that. So in an audio drama, you're trying to feature the strength of whatever that particular moment is. If it's a piece of dialogue and it needs something underneath it to kind of build some tension or it needs silence, whatever, you're trying to illuminate the dialogue and the story or the concept or whatever's happened in the best way possible. And sometimes that's nothing at all. Sometimes it might be a huge orchestral kind of vibe or a strange sound effect. I think you're right. I think that's one of the biggest problems with people who it's kind of like when you get as a writer, John, you get too in love with your own dialogue sometimes and you got to cut it. Right. There are some musicians that get too in love with the theme and it kind of fights with the scene and it takes over. True. And you see Absolutely. that happening in old television and old movies too. There, They hadn't gotten the idea that it's a character in the scene. It's not supposed to remind you that you're watching a television show. Kind of Absolutely. That's so true. It's something that I like to share with people is the word lagom, which comes from Sweden. And lagom, it just means just the right amount, exactly right, as it should be, you know, putting things just in that perfect place that it should be. And so it took me a long time as a musician. I'm a drummer uh, initially. And so it took me decades to really refine finesse because, hey, I'm like a lumberjack up there hitting the drums in rock and roll all those years. <laughs> but it took me so long to <laughs> learn, you know, rein it in, pull it back and just illuminate it and just give it what it needs and nothing more. Wow. Uh, and Nightfall is a masterful a masterwork of that particular thing. They knew when to use those cues and drop them in just right. So Right. And it very powerful at times. Absolutely. And and some like I said, sometimes I was listening to some shows and they'd have like just dissonance uh slash music slash noise, almost like it was like feedback. Uh just to give right. you an emotional kick at the time. Like the terror was rising in your in your stomach, you know, and, and that would just like, I can't believe this is happening is what your ha mind is saying while this is playing <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, which is that's true. Very cool. So in some cases, it's not so much music as it becomes almost a sound effect. Right. Well, that's that's it's a good point, because um, it's one of those things that I was reading um as a psychological effect of certain frequencies and sounds that affect can cause our heart to race, cause our mind to get clouded or uh, to cause, uh, for example, the subsonic frequencies from uh, like the, you'll hear horror films where there's a low rumble or very, very low frequencies. Mm -hmm. There's an instinctual re uh, response in humans to those frequencies that are connected with fears of things like earthquakes mm -hmm and tsunamis and so on. So that's utilized as a tool or an audio weapon of sorts <laughs> in horror stories and things to really scare you. So yeah, sound effects and things like that are very powerful tools to use. Absolutely. Now, John, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of the gears right now because my biggest complaint about Campfire Radio Theater is that you've dropped off in your amount of releases lately. <laughs> Now, you got a new one out just recently, and I'm really thrilled about that. I hear that a lot. <laughs> I'm sure you have heard it a lot. So, And life gets us all. This is not a full-time gig for any of us. <laughs> and so no judgment in that respect. But do you have a lot of stories still in you that you want to tell? 
Yeah, you know, there's really no shortage of stories. I've got a whole notebook of ideas. You know, unfortunately, all of them haven't been written out in you know form of an actual script that's ready to go to actors or anything. But there's no shortage of ideas. It really just boils down to and and I. You know, I've had people who were very faithful listeners to the show, and they're like, hey, man, set up a Patreon. I want to give you money. People wanting to give me, they just want to hear more shows, and I understand that. But it really isn't a matter of money. It's it's really just a matter of finding the time, sure. and I'm really picky about how the things sound. So I sort of uh, have gotten into the zone where, okay, you know, I'm going to take my time with it and make it. You know, these things, the the writing, I want that to be perfect before it goes out to the actors. I want to cast the right people in these parts because like we were discussing earlier, casting is is so important to to getting, especially when you're not sitting in a studio directing actors, you want them to be cast perfectly. And so it is a time consuming process, particularly the way I do it. So that's part of the reason why it takes so long to get these things out. I keep hoping I can streamline the process and make it a little bit faster. But uh, for right now, you know, it just kind of is what it is. God knows I love doing it. Good. I'm glad you haven't gotten tired out of it. No. And you just sort of like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's also especially hard because between the two of you guys, you basically do the whole thing. Right. Now you've got actors to be able to fill the roles, but it's not like you hand off the casting to somebody else. It's not like that you hand off the writings or or the production and the post-production. All of those things, you're doing all of those things yourself. And so when you hold on to that as the writer, director, producer, then of course there's that pressure that you want it to be just the way it is in your head. Right. And good for you. Well, you know, I figure, you know, once these things go out, that's it. I'm probably not going to make a lot, go back and pull them back in and make changes. So, and I have to hear these things for, for, I guess, the rest of my life. So I'm like, eh, (laughs) I want them to sound good. And I'm trying to, I guess, to a large degree, make myself happy more so than anybody else, because I want them to sound the way I want them to sound, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to please myself more so than, (laughs) than the audience. And I figure, you know, if I do that, then chances are at least 80 to 90% of the audience will be pretty happy with it. Well, that's how I wound up getting involved with the show. I was looking for modern audio drama and found it in the way of podcasts, which were at the time relatively new to me. And I can't remember how I found it, maybe through a Reddit link or something, but I stumbled across Campfire Radio Theater many years back there. And I heard it and I'm like, hold on, (laughs) (laughs) this is great. And I, I loved it from the start. And I thought, I don't know who's behind this. But they've got it together, and it actually did give me a sense of that vibe I had felt when I listened to Nightfall, and I hadn't really felt that in a long time. And then I go and look it up on the uh, the internet, and I find out that the guy behind the show is also a Nightfall fan. I'm like, all right, that's it, man. I'm giving this guy a call or whatever I need to do because we need to be working together. I want to know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like trouble. I need to be in trouble with this guy. Great accomplice, man. Yeah. So I remember contacting him, wanting to work with him, and sure enough, that's what's happened. And John, he really just has such a, a high standard, and it shows in the work, and it pulled me in, you know? So that's how I got involved, and I'm grateful to you. So how long have you guys been working together then? When was that, 2014, I think, when I started? Yeah, somewhere around there. I think the first, the Philadelphia Experiment, no, maybe it was R.I.P., but I, I think Philadelphia Experiment came first, and, and you did probably 99% of the music for that episode. Great, great. Um, 
show. And then every since he's done the lion's share of the work as far as the composing and music in every episode. So that's six years of working together. That's two nightfalls. Yeah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So here we go. This is going to end our interview this time. But of course, I got to have you guys back again because I have too much fun talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jack. So here's what's going to happen. Bill Howell is going to call you up and he's going to say, gentlemen, we want to redo Nightfall. We want you two to be the driving forces for the next generation of that. What would you say to him? I would say, uh, I would be like, uh, can I quit my day job or do I need to keep it? <laughs> oh, my God. It is the CBC. I would... You know, I have to admit that I would have a fanboy reaction, but I would say yes. <laughs> you know, with what what we do, I, I really sort of, you know, my criteria for what makes a campfire radio theater episode is, would this have been a good Nightfall episode? You know, so I think I would probably call the show Nightfall if I, if I could get away with it. Yeah, that's right. But we just ended up kind of doing our own thing. But yeah, that would be, I, I would love for somebody... I, I don't care who does it, if I do it or someone else. If someone were, were to revive Nightfall, that would be you know amazing because it's such a uniquely, and I don't know if I'd be the guy to do it because it's such a uniquely Canadian show because you have these episodes that are built around Canadian winters. You know, some of the best episodes like The Porch Light or, or Wind Chill or, or Late Special are built around these characters having to endure the, the bitter Canadian winter and the snowstorms and it's... It's, it's, it's such a great Canadian, it's a national treasure for, for Canada as far as I'm concerned. I just listened to Windchill. What a horrifying story. It oh, was, I love it. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing. Thank you so much, gentlemen. This has been wonderful. And, and the time has just flown by as usual. But uh, I'm looking forward to speaking with you again. And can you let people know where they can find both Campfire Radio Theater and where they can find your music, Kevin? Okay. I'll speak for Campfire Radio Theater. You know, you can look us up at campfireradiotheater.com or Apple Podcasts or any of the places where you listen to podcasts. You can find us. And Kevin has his own website, actually has his own record label. And he he can give you the specifics on that. That's correct. You can find me online at kevinhartnell.com. And I also have soundtracks from the Campfire Radio Theater series over on bandcamp.com. So you can find that. And for uh, all the fans of Nightfall, come and join us on the uh, Facebook Nightfall page. Absolutely. And if you're not a fan of Nightfall, then then why the hell aren't you? I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> Amen. <Good night. laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen. Have a great evening. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, Jack. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Now you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah... Either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Drama Network.
where we listen and imagine together.